This is a HeadGum Podcast. Yay, hello. Another episode of Enemies with me, Lisa Traeger. Thanks for tuning in week to week and sending your texts and messages and DMs. It feels really nice to have you guys connect and say nice things about my friend Sydney from last week. Continuing to hate the episode from two weeks ago. I have like comedian friends that listen and it just feels really special. So shout out to Jared Goldstein, Molly Meatbrick. Like it means a lot that you guys listen. And Jared did stir up some some stuff. You know, I did call out my friend Will last week about not being there for me when I was sad and needed a drink. And uh, Jared did confront him for me. So Will was like, okay, we're, we'll meet for a drink. And But we're friends um, since, for, you know, we'll be friends many decades before, after, whatever. I am delirious. I'm going to tell you something. So I took an all-night flight here to Skokie. Um, I am at a shiva. Um, there was a funeral today, and it's Uncle Leslie, and he's very much remembered for his amazing, beautiful birthday gifts, and my love language is gift-giving, and so... We're thinking about him here today. I am in my niece's old bedroom. I'm looking at a shofar right now, a White Sox hat. We're, we're, we're deep in um, Jew Chicago suburb life. But I, I'll tell you, there is nothing that makes you feel more like you're in an indie movie coming of age story than landing in your hometown at five in the morning, showing up to an empty home, but not really. People are sleeping. The dog welcomes you but you're alone and just like showering and it just makes it's like am I in a movie is this Paul Thomas Anderson or whatever it makes you think your main character indie vibe character energy for sure um but everything is strange, of course, you know, recording a podcast from a shiva, just stuffing whitefish in my mouth and then being like, oh, I'm sorry, you guys, I do have to work before the minion prayer. So it is inappropriate that I am doing this. There's like a Bojack Horseman about time's arrow keeps marching forward, but um, it is it is strange, obviously, enemies everywhere, but more the beauty of family getting together and you know it sucks that it's uh with sadness but you know just remember make time to see people in your lives as often as you can reach out always even if they don't respond you know i i write to people constantly that are way too famous and busy and <laughs> don't i don't know if they consider me a friend as much as i consider them a friend and i don't care i always try to get as many messages as i can out to people because i do wish i spent more time and effort with this person very Jewy vibes for me right now. We're going to get into this episode. This is one of the, fr I went to Dua Lipa. I mean, we do have a lot to talk about, but I'm delirious, truly slept three hours and I'm trying to be a helper here and, you know, drive my parents around anyways. But this guest, going straight from Jewish funeral to Jewish superstar, if you'll let me do that. Um, this is one of the first episodes we did record because I was interested also in how different industries deal with enemies. And I think comedians, oh my God, that's what I forgot about. Hello, the slap. Can you believe that I did not record the intro? 
in time to be able to talk about the slap but i'm too delirious but the oscars happened there was a slap i don't care what you think about your opinion of what was said what was crossed the line what's this no you know alopecia is not crossing the line we make fun of fat people we make fun of diabetes we make fun of you know divorce and cheating we make fun of lots of people problems okay you don't know what people are sensitive about and you can't pick and choose and say well that's a disorder and it's like we've made fun of lots of people's disorders okay we make fun of people it's what we do it could have been left at a bad joke he could have you know had words with him afterwards the there is absolutely no reason to get on stage and hit somebody because you don't like what they said and then go dancing at night while humiliating someone on television in front of like billions of viewers they said I think it's disgusting in any way you want to like twist and turn how that was appropriate is ridiculous and i wonder if all the people that are okay with hitting him were also okay with all the transphobic jokes that Chappelle was doing you know what i mean if if you defend it all you must defend it all or you say nothing but you cannot pick and choose or you're a fucking hypocrite and there are jokes i don't like i don't love certain categories of jokes things make me uncomfortable there's comedians i fucking hate sometimes i think shit is straight up hate speech but i would never go and hit somebody and you guys know obviously you know me and chris rock have exchanged words like did i see the photo of the slap and maybe go okay love that but then disgusting behavior from the fresh prince um but an honor that i get to mention the slap on the enemies podcast but now back to our amazing guest so because you know, I'm interested in different industries and how they deal with enemies. Since comedians are more upfront, we can take a joke a lot. Not everyone. Um, we are verbal. We do go there. And comedians are so high on our own supply. But oh, also tomorrow I am going into my sister's school because the school is doing a unit on podcasting. And I'm going to do a podcasting presentation for the fourth graders, which is hysterical. Um, but yeah, like I wanted to talk to tattoo artists and chefs and different industries and how they deal with conflict and all the inner workings so lucky to be able to talk to this person i name drop our guest more than anyone in my life he is a wrestling phenom a superstar he's so impressive backflips off the rope he's been wrestling for like over 20 years and that's not counting like childhood wrestling dreams um i love what a hard-working man this person is dedicated to his craft to his friendships to relationships to the art of wrestling um that is one of his old podcasts um he's a podcaster merch maven a business owner a chicago boy like through and through wears judaism loud and proud stands up for what's right and i just like truly and i feel very cool all the time that i get to call him a friend and that i can text someone that's as incredible as him and like i said there's wrestling fans everywhere and everywhere i go i'm like do you know him so today if you did not put it all together we do have colt cabana a superstar and indie wrestler for years and years so respected in the game and now in AEW on TNT weekly just like full professional wrestling glory and we talk about the inner workings of like respect and himself he's a wrestler but not a confrontational guy but also holds grudges and yeah just like it's it's pretty fun I loved diving deep within um 
wrestling gossip with him and what's acceptable, what's not, um, what happens if someone hurts you on purpose, what do you do if you're wrestling someone you hate, real life classic drama, villains, like act- like heels, obviously, if you're a heel or a baby face, but also like real life villains, do you turn into a villain, do good guys make b- good bad guys, just a lot. And I know wrestling is really like misunderstood a lot of people want to say like oh is it fake is it fake and it's like no it's not fake it is what it is okay and it's incredible and they are true athlete drag mavens i keep saying maven that's not a word i use very often but it's high drag it's acting it's wrestling it's sports it's dance it's i i just a lot of travel. It's incredible. If you need any help on how to get, get as many points and customer service on airplanes and hotels, this is the guy you talk to. We have a great time, and um, I hope you enjoy Colt Cabana, everybody. Okay, Colt Cabana, thank you for doing enemies, even though you are a non-confrontational person, I would say. So not confrontational. This is actually interesting because I wanted you to give me like who would talk about wrestling beefs or who would talk shit about people. And you said that is not culturally a thing in your industry. Uh, Not if you want to continue within your industry. Correct. Or there are people that do, but it's just, and I guess they have a different psychological brain path because they don't care if they're on shows with these people. Whereas I am like the, all the anxiety in the world just builds up and I don't want to be near them or next to them or anything. But again, maybe they're born a different way. And obviously comedians are born the weirdest way. That was one of my questions. Being a wrestler, also hanging out with so many comedians, doing comedy, podcasting, are you think comedians are crazier than wrestlers? I don't want to speak for comedians, but we're selling ourselves or getting jobs based upon our wrestling, and you guys are doing it on your talking and talking shit and starting beefs. Like, it doesn't, it's not bad. It doesn't not help. I could say the same thing for wrestling. I could just say, yeah, like strumming up backstage business and then it coming out through conflict in the ring is probably also good for business. But I just feel I hear more stories about comedians talking shit about each other than wrestlers. Yeah, maybe it's because you guys are physically fit. You're feeling better in your brains with endorphins or something. Or because we physically then have to get physical with each other where the comedians will it will only stop at verbal. So if you talk shit about somebody, it's only going to be verbal, but we're actually going to physically get in there. And so if we wanted to, one or the other could take advantage on an enemy And it has happened before, right? So if you have to wrestle with someone that you're not a fan of, would you purposely fuck them up ever? Or that's against the code of conduct? Like, how does that work? It's against the code of conduct. It has happened. There's also a thing in wrestling called receipts. If I'm wrestling you, Lisa, and you hit me a little harder than I'd like you to, I am technically allowed to hit you back (laughs) as hard or harder And then we're supposed to just go back to normal like it didn't happen. But you're assuming that person knows they hit you harder or if they're doing it, they did it on purpose. No, even if they do it by mistake, like if they did it by mistake and I'm like, I don't want to be hit that hard. You now have to get the hit that hard. It's almost fratty where it's like, hey, because I took it. Now you have to take it. Would someone back out and not do that? Like, oh, no worries. Or that's not part of your guys's nature. There's some really fun slash unfun instances 
on YouTube over the years where that has happened. There was an old wrestler named Earthquake. His real name was John Tenta. And he was wrestling some guy in Japan. I can't really pull up his name. John Tenta did like this crazy fight. But he was a sumo wrestler. And him and this other wrestler, they got into the standstill where it was so wild and awkward to watch because they both didn't want to lose to each other. They both stopped the whole script and they were both like, they were both trying to hurt each other, but at the same time, not be embarrassed by getting hurt with a crowd of 10,000 people. And so eventually after like a eight minute weird, try to hit, hurt each other, stand off, not try to hurt each other. The Japanese guy just left the ring and then the match was over. So I would say like, he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to take any of this. I'm done. Did people boo? I think people were just didn't know what was going on. Okay. It was so wild. A couple other fun ones like that. And I didn't even think about that coming to this podcast, but I just wanted to share these with you. There was a, a wrestler named Antonio Inoki, who would be like the Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin of Japanese professional wrestling. And he brought in this guy named the great Antonio, who was a, a Canadian. And later he became a legend for being this homeless Montreal person. In his youth, he would pull uh, trucks by himself. And he was like fighting Antonio Inoki. And Antonio Inoki was hitting him. And Antonio Inoki, imagine like Hulk Hogan hitting a guy and then the guy not like registering and being like, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, none of it hurts. It's all fake. This guy was like, great Antonio was like, this doesn't hurt. And then Antonio Inoki just got so fed up with it that he was just like, all right, if you're not going to register the stuff that it's supposed to look real. I'm going to make it real. And, and Antonio Noki is like one of the forefathers of MMA. He like trained like in Japanese, like martial arts and is a legendary wrestler and grappler. And then he just beats the living shit out of the great Antonio. It's on YouTube. Bill Burr actually did a whole thing where he watched it and did commentary over it. To uh, an untrained wrestling eye, would I be able to see the difference between him getting pummeled for real hardcore versus the acting of wrestling i think it gets very uncomfortable i think the uncomfortability of it not being a show anymore and it just being like a weird after a bar fight in the streets of chicago and wrigleyville at 4 a.m you just said something that i was gonna talk about later but you said like it's all fake no i wish (laughs) but I personally get not defensive, but I go, it's not fake. It just is what it is. Stop trying to make it something different. Do wrestlers get offended if people are like, how fake is it? Oh, that's fake. Like, I thought you would be more mad. I wouldn't. I didn't think that you would be like, oh, it's fake. I would get mad if you said it, but I'm allowed to say it. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Just just like my Judaism. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I said it tongue in cheek, maybe more for comedy. Obviously, there's so much to it. Obviously, you know, my body hurts from 23 years of professional wrestling and there's so much physicality and how you fall and how you land and even even like making sure the hits look are hard enough. Some of them that they do make a sound so that the audience can hear them. But at the end of the day, it's two people working together to put on a good show. So you do have to work together. How many, there's gotta be instances where wrestlers do not like each other, mortal enemies behind the scenes, but they have to work together in the ring. That must be common. Not too common. And I'm only speaking for myself about wrestling people that I don't want to wrestle. And sometimes politically you can just be like, I don't want to wrestle that person. And if you have enough political clout, they'll be like, yeah, we'll make sure that they don't. But I've been in there with people that I I don't respect or that I don't like. 
And for me as a professional, you just put that aside and you just do your job and then you go back to shit talking them to your friends when you're done. But you said you really don't love tension and in the workplace and confrontation. So how do you deal with that tension when you are wrestling someone you don't respect? And do they know that you feel that way about them? I feel I'm pretty good at keeping it under wraps. Maybe not. I don't know. I can. I have that sense of humor that can just be snarky or passive aggressive. I've been known to be, be very passive aggressive. I'll throw little jabs, but I'll always throw humor behind it. Yeah, but... I, I, yeah, you I, must I, get I, away with a little bit since people know that you are also like... Comedic wrestler. Comedic, I'm a comedic wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. And it's funny, you know, one of the greatest comedic wrestlers of all time was a wrestler named Les Kellett. And I consider him like a true comedian. And he was, if you go back and you look on YouTube for him, you will see that he's got the crowd, the 1960s British crowd, like roaring, just laughing so much. It's just like a great set by Les Kellett. And the stories on him is he was literally the mi most miserable, horrible human being Everybody in the back was so scared of him and his opponents knew like if you didn't make if you didn't act super silly to make him look hilarious, he would really hurt you. And so that's a technique also. I don't think I do that. I don't I think, think people I, are scared of you backstage, are they? Nope, no, but also remember I've been doing this a very long time and if it's somebody who hasn't been doing that a long time, I hold a lot of clout in the industry. So even if I'm not intimidating to you, <laughs> I I can be intimidating to others. I'm I'm sure of it. Speaking of younger, are there moments you look back on the way you treated or acted where you are humiliated? Obviously we all make mistakes growing up, but did you ever overstep your bounds and disrespect an elder? God, I don't know about disrespecting an elder. I, I think disrespecting youngers. But you're allowed when, to do that. Isn't that? Not when you're like, let's say I've been like wrestling four years oh. and someone's been wrestling three years and I'm, I feel cocky and brash. I'm sure that I'm sure has that happened to you? I, I feel. I'm humiliated by my past behavior time and time again. I okay. think that's the reason for this podcast. I want it to be a variety, but I'm having people on that. I just talked to someone, I yelled at them in an elevator right. and uh, yeah. I had to take stock of the way I was acting and how it made me feel. And I don't want to act like that. So I have tons of embarrassing moments. So I was talking about this with my friend the other day is there's a very famous wrestler named Kevin Owens right now in WWE. And when I met him, I, he's from Montreal, Canada. And I told him, uh, he talks like a bad word. I said he talks like a bad word. Like he's mentally handicapped. And that was uh, 2004, and I've understood. It's not a word I would dare use, and I've apologized to him immensely. But that, uh, that was my way of trying to be his friend. Like, I wanted to form a relationship. I thought we had a great bond, and I was like, this was me ball-busting with him. And years later, you hear how traumatic that was to him. Did you see it in the moment that he was upset and didn't react the way you wanted? That I was... only found out years later. And when he told me, I didn't even remember. I barely remembered it. I might have remembered it. So that was my way of like thinking that's how you make friends. And so that's something, obviously, I look back and hate that I did. Yeah. Damn. But, I mean, we're still great friends to this day. And we were great friends back then. I just think he had to like learn who I was and like my patterns of befriending people is just a weird way of befriending people, I guess. This isn't a pattern of befriending, but you mentioned you are passive aggressive in yeah, conflict. Which I don't even really know what that means, but I know I am. 
it's like instead of telling someone that bothered me, it's like a silent treatment or you slam a door or like you say a sassy right. comment. As, like, Ugh, way to go doing that again, huh? <laughs> but that's aggressive to me, though. You let people know when you're upset or do you like what was your style of conflict growing up? Like, how did you learn to deal or communicate with people you didn't get along with in your home or at school? What was your vibe with people? Jokes, if anyone, right? Jokes. 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 If anyone gets me mad, get got me mad or made me upset, I'll give you an example of I was on the freshman B team basketball uh, team. Okay. I don't like to brag. A real athlete, though. <laughs> I uh, love that I was on my high school's A team because that's cool. My one moment where I was maybe athletically better than you. You really were. <laughs> I, now listen, I got cut from the seventh and eighth grade basketball team. So when you're merging schools, you're not supposed to make... I would definitely wouldn't have made the freshman team, but I made it. Okay. So being on the B team was okay. Yeah. But there was one game where everybody played in the first half except me. So here's my confrontation. And this I feel this sums me up. Uh, at the end of the halftime huddle or whatever it is in the locker room, the coach says, does anyone have a question? And I raise my hand and I go, am I really that bad? <laughs> And I feel like that's passive aggressive, right? But did everyone laugh? Yeah, of course. And everyone laughed, but was just like, Jesus. Because, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bold for a teen. Uh, did you get to play in the second half? No way. So you were no way. bad. Punished. Wait, bad as a basketball player yeah. or a person? No, so you think you got punished for the comment? A hundred percent. Oh, wow. So the coach didn't, he wasn't in on the funny. I blame no. him. I don't blame you. Yeah, of course. But that was instead of going instead of pulling him aside and being like, coach, I'm really sad that everyone gets to play and I feel like a loser at 13. And it's not like we're going for the world championship here. This is a B team basketball. <laughs> yeah. Literally the ones who aren't good enough to play on A. It would probably do a lot for my self-esteem in my younger adolescent years if you played me. Instead, I just called him out for being a piece of shit in front of everyone. But I didn't even see it as you calling him out. I see it as self-deprecating. That's how I would have seen it. It was self-deprecating, but also letting everybody know that I didn't get to play because he his decision was not to play me. I think your passive aggressiveness would go over my head. I don't think I, <laughs> maybe, I didn't realize that I'm such a fool, but I think all this would go up. But you know what I got made fun of? I had hard nipples all the time. And so the whole team would chant, put on a shirt pointy. Wow. See, you're the opposite of me. What? That I got bl- I wanted to pierce my nipples because I had soft nipples all the time. Oh, you And I them. wanted hard nipples. I didn't even think it was a pro. I don't even think I realized. It. You know, I, ha- I, I had pierced nipples for a little bit. Do they make them uh, hard at all times? Oh, but you were hard to begin with. My nipples are always hard, but my most white trash quality is my nipple piercings closed up in jail because I got arrested and they made me take them out. <laughs> and that's why I don't have pierced nipples anymore because I got arrested. They close up that fast? So fast. Because then I got. You did eight months in the slammer. No, it was the next day I tried to put put it in and it closed up immediately. Nipple skin, I guess, is closing in and out. There's no wrestlers with piercings, right? Stop it. You can't, right? There's all the wrestlers with piercings. Oh, really? But isn't that scary? What if a finger gets stuck in a hoop and rips it out? I feel that's happened before. Ugh. There was uh, a wrestler named, you'll like this, drumroll please, but Prince Albert. Okay, and did he have his dick pierced? <laughs> the thing was, he was pierced everywhere. 
And one would assume that his, we didn't see it on television, but. And he was a nice Jewish boy, actually, named Matt. So we have a mutual friend and he is your best friend. What, how, do you guys do conflict? Resol- are you guys just chill, good friends? Or have you been having to go through stuff ever? Yeah. Yeah. And so you talk about, do I name Marty? Is that okay? We can, yeah. Yeah. Marty DeRosa, stand-up comedian, one of the greats. I feel if we're ever mad at each other, we never say anything. <laughs> to each other at all. But is there no. years of tension? I don't. I think we're both conflict against that we make sure that there is no tension. So you know what pisses each other off and you try to avoid it. But I'm not looking to piss anybody off. The opposite side of that, and I'm sorry to be on the enemy's podcast. I have a a big enemy. I just can't talk about it. But yeah, but you You know know what? That's just like if you know, you know, and you know, if you don't, maybe you, you can give Colt some money. Yeah, please. I'll need it. You know, I'm also still also best friends with my friends from high school, like the same group of high school. I don't know about you. Are you still friends with your high school crew? No. And that is one thing that makes me feel bad about myself because we always we congratulate and really look highly on people who have long lasting friendships. And I have had to grow as a person, but I also didn't have a group of friends. Gotcha. Like I would have friends here and there and they actually treated me like shit. And it set up my patterns for the people that I chose in the future. And so even though I feel shitty about myself not having long-term friends, I'm happy that I'm not friends with people who treat me like shit. You, f- you didn't find the right people. I didn't find the right people. And yes. I wasn't the right person. Like, I, didn't, I couldn't stand up for myself or I believe that's what I deserve. My first grade, like my first friend in America... Her and her sister would lock me in the basement. I got whipped by chains with her. She threw a pool ball at my head. I got concussed. Like, she did fucked up shit to me. And so that's what I thought friendship was. So I kept recreating a terrible friendship. You kept throwing pool balls at people's face. (laughs) Yeah. And you didn't understand why they didn't like it. And she was my friend. We would, like, fake hump. I don't know if boys do that, but, like... We would like we would, have sex. No, we would fake hump everything else. Oh, okay. Not each except other. each other. Yes. <laughs> but she would tell people they they couldn't talk to me and then she would ride her bike and then they would talk to me and when she would come back they would ignore me. Mm. But I mm. kept wanting to be their friend. It's fucking twisted. I found a group of friends and for some reason we all clicked and all, to this day and there's not many times it's been what uh, if we were 15 I'm 41, right? It's I don't know, almost 30 years like there, there. I don't think there's ever been like a giant budding of heads of any of us. There was seven of us. There's now six of us. We did lose one in the battle of f- friendship. I think he went to war, to be honest, and might have came back a different person. Oh, um, wow. Okay. But there's six of us that are still very strong. And I, we try to pretend like we've grown up as men and can deal with our feelings, but we still just bust each other's balls. And there's really never been any like crazy conflict. But without that conflict, are you guys there for each other during heavy shit? Are you there f- emotionally it, during good and bad stuff, even though... Are you deep... You must be deep. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, we can open up, of course. I trust them with everything that's going on in my life. Anything that's going on in my life, I do. And so I guess I'm lucky in that way. And have you ever melded the groups? Has Marty ever met these people? Yeah, I've melded my groups before. Of course. Would they all be your groomsmen at your future wedding? I guess. You don't think about your wedding all the time? Never. (laughs) Everywhere I go, I'm like, would I get married here? Everywhere. Every restaurant. Would you get married there? What? 
Oh, at the place. Everywhere. Gotcha. I'm like, oh, would I get married? Oh, this could be a good place for a wedding. This would be fun for the midnight. Like, all I do is think about weddings and what I would do. I can't say the same. <laughs> but would you be able to choose the best man? Or would it be your brother? Probably not. Okay. It'd be my group of friends, yeah. But you could only pick one best man. Would you? You only pick one. You have groomsmen, and then you're supposed to have a best. I don't want to pick. I don't want. I don't want to conform to what. That, that's a whole different podcast in itself. <laughs> it's conforming to what we have to do and what we don't have to do. No, you don't have to do it. So you would just have the groomsmen, and that would be. it. I would just have all my friends up there. Yes. And do they come support you and stuff? So yeah, sometimes. Are they excited by your life? I think so. I think they're a little used to it. it. I've been doing it for so long. I recently got to watch you wrestle. And was that like one of the biggest kind of nights of your career? Not in my career, but it was it was one of the biggest audiences I've I've ever wrestled in front of. It was very cool. It was so fucking cool. (laughs) 10,000 people, 12,000 people, whatever it was in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the end, I don't know if how this will make you feel, but they, they were like, Chicago Zone, blah, blah. And I got up because I thought it was you, and then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, great. Other wrestlers are from Chicago, <laughs> but I think I thought I'm the you. most important. <laughs> to me, for sure. But that was uh, very cool to watch. Backflips, baby. So d- with wrestling, there's heels, baby faces. Correct. Good guys, bad guys. Have you played both? I have played both. I'm, I'm notoriously known as a baby face, a good guy, a lovable Lenny, a bright eye. And did you have fun playing a heel or that's just not you at all and you don't want to do it? Yeah, I think it's fun to learn both. It's important to learn all aspects of your industry. I just feel I gravitated more towards being a good guy. A, I think it's in my nature. B, you know, I was an independent wrestler for so long. Like, luckily enough, I'm I'm able to be contracted to this global promotion called AEW. But for so long, I was doing this myself. And part of being able to earn a living is selling merchandise. And you can't go around the the world telling everyone to fuck off and then asking them to buy your (laughs) T-shirt or DVD. So part of the hustle for me was... Being nice, being a sweetheart, gaining the the audience's trust, asking for their support in fake life and real life. I think that's why I was naturally drawn to becoming a babyface was part of the hustle. Do you think people that become heels naturally gravitate towards heels or do you know heels that are amazing, fun, nice, lovable people? I think there's a little bit of both. I, I think it's like some people say the greatest bad guys are the nicest people and the nicest. Like I gave you an example of Les Kellett and there's other examples too. But I do feel if you are a piece of shit human being, it's so easy to bring that out I- into an audience and tap from that. These characters you're tapping from some, the, the best wrestlers will tap from something natural with inside of you something organic and they say like the best wrestler is like you times a thousand so if you're a piece of shit and you're able to get into that in front of an audience and magnify it it makes a lot of sense you'll be a great piece of shit who um, are the most successful pieces of shit that are able to sell merch because is like the undertaker a heel even because he's dead and stuff or no because he's beloved yeah he was a good guy for so long he was he was a good guy for so long. I mean, it's known that your merchandise goes down once you're a bad guy. A good example of this would be Ric Flair. I think he is the best piece of shit human being, allegedly. I'm saying this character-wise. 
he was a heel, but he was a heel and so good at his job for so long that he became beloved and people almost loved seeing the experience of him being pompous and over the top and flaunty that that was like part of the appeal and people did support him now you could go deep into the theory of that doesn't make a good heel because a good heel wouldn't have a whole crowd cheering for you but you know that's a back and forth who knows what that where that argument goes there's wrestling fans on the internet still arguing for hours upon hours right now as we speak maybe this is but it's like the people who get the game versus the marks what percentage of the audience it's like, that's a bad guy and I'm not buying merch versus the part percentage of the audience that's, I know this is characters and acting and I like this bad guy. What's the percentage rundown? Yeah. I think in like the 50s, 20% were in on it. Or you know, that I think as the 70s, you know, maybe 50. I think now, essentially, I think everybody's in on it. But, you know, you'd be surprised when I first started out and I would go to these kind of some of these small town shows. And you know, that's what usually what it is. The small town shows down south a little bit tend to have the people who believed a little more. So you're but calling the, the south of- dumb. We've, we've heard it here first. <laughs> this is just in my experience. Just in my experience. But Ric Flair was at a point where he was wrestling, even though he was wrestling mainly in the North in the Carolinas is where he gained all of his fame. He was wrestling in front of 10,000 people like every single night. I, I, I think like those fans are a little smarter in, in the bigger cities as opposed to the little cities. That's how wrestling worked was like you did your big shows. And let's say the, there was a, a territory called Memphis. They would wrestle in Memphis. Those were the big shows. And then they would go to the smaller shows like Evansville or Lexington or whatever. And those maybe outside of the, those areas, you would find your fans who weren't as up to date or in on it because they weren't in the big towns. So they were in these little towns. Do you have towns where you go and you're like, oh, I hope this person's not here in the audience? Like, oh, they're um, going to bring me a stuffed animal again. This oh, be, you know? Yes, of course. It must be a little different since you guys are tough. For a female stand-up comic, let's say, like, a stalker could ruin your life. But I guess, I, so has I'm, anyone ever scared you? Has anyone come to your show and you're like, I'm scared of that person? Yes, I, I definitely think so. There's people just ag- with just aggressive demeanors mm. and that are really into it. And I've had fans who are so defensive of me will want to be my number one fan and anyone else who likes me, they will attack that person, whether it's social network, whether it's in person, that's very much a thing. And I think it's like territorial over your favorite performer and it's scary. And yes. And and also I like, I, I'll do anything to get one fan. That's how I built my business was one fan at a time. So if someone shows me that much attention at first, I'm going to Facebook message them back. Like, I think if I meet them in person, I think that's the difference. If you meet them in person and they message you and they say, hey, I'm Bill. And I'll be like, oh, I remember Bill. He seemed normal enough. Then I will message them. But if maybe if it's a cold message and it's just like, I'm your number one fan, I'm not going to I'm probably not going to reply back to it. If I felt I've met them, I feel that there's a real relationship there or a real bond or something but then that can then go off you know people take advantage of that and it has gotten to the point where i do hope that these people don't come to the shows anymore because i I have the greatest job in the world i'm a professional wrestler and they make 
me going to work. I don't, I don't want the feeling of not wanting to go to work. I want to go to work every single day. What an easy job, but I do have this anxiety. Not an easy job. (laughs) Not Not an easy, but for me, listen, I'm not sitting in an office. I'm not, I'm just doing whatever I want to do. But I think even though it's your dream and it's so fun, there's nothing about wrestling that looks easy. (laughs) Yes, I, I know. But after years of training and doing it for me, it is. So now let's grow to more enemies. So do you have an enemy or we were chatting that you might give us some scoop on famous historical be whatever. What do you. Oh, I can give you some. Yeah, there, yeah there's some wild in- stuff. In, there's some wild stuff in the wrestling past. But I have an enemy that I hold on to still from college football. Woo. OK, this is a surprise for me. I'm excited. Which was my coach, my defensive line coach. OK. And it really goes along with how much I hate authority. Okay. I think. I just, I, I really, but I don't like corporations or, or maybe I just hate assholes. Could be assholes. In a th- you know what? I hate assholes in authoritative positions. Maybe that's it. Yeah, because I'm sure you're nice to flight attendants. Of course. And they're telling you what to do. Oh, but if they tell me to, to do something I don't want to, then fuck them. <laughs> okay. But I, but... Off the bat, of course, thank you, and I'll make their job easy, and I thank them after the flight always. I thank the pilots after the flight, too. I heard you're supposed to tell them that was a great landing. I heard that gets the their whistle wet. Yeah, I heard like that's what they really <laughs> like to hear is like, wow, soft landing, and they Duly noted. get wet. Yeah, I uh, This like uh, person obsessed with airplanes told me she's like a pilot. I love it. Yeah. But you have to yell that, too, because they're always sitting in the cockpit. No, they come out sometimes at the end and stand there. Yeah, but when you're first class upgraded like me all the time. Oh, you're you're quick. I'm I'm right out the door. (laughs) So Um, I can't believe it. So your college football coach. And where'd you play? Will you say it or no? I played at Western Michigan University. Okay, great. I I like to say in my joking manner that I was known as the worst Division I football player of all time. That was Division I? Division 1A, what the Mid-American Conference. What does 1A mean? It's like the top of the top. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know that. You're like the rock. But he played, if it was a scale of 1 to 50, he was at like the number 1. I was at the number 50 school. Sure, but the fact that you both played college one, Division 1 yes. football and then became professional wrestlers, you guys are the same. It's the only reason I played college football, so they could say that when I was wrestling, that this guy played college football. So what age were you like, I'm do- wrestling's my path and I'm going to do anything I, like ev- all my decisions are going to be for wrestling? Probably 10. 10. Wow. Yeah. But my parents, they said, you have to go to college. I was like, okay, if I got to go to college, I'm going to play football so I can look good when I, after college when I start wrestling. But you didn't love football. I liked high school football. You did. Okay. But I was a good high school football player, a horrible college football player. So that, so you get to college and this motherfucker right I'm away- I'm a preferred walk-on, which means I don't get a scholarship, but I'm treated like a scholarship player. I was scouted based off of my tapes. No one really came to my game and was like, this guy's great, or even met me. The day I showed up was like the day they were like, this is the first time meeting him. I, again, I was so good in high school, but I wasn't, these other players were like all six, eight. They were all like men. And I was just like a chubby Jewish kid. Like I look good in the pads, but like in person, I was just a schlub. So I think my coach was like, oh no. Who is this guy? You don't look like the guy that was on the films, but I was good on the films. But just compared to all these other people, like I just sucked. And you knew and you sucked. Did you know what that you're like, fuck, I suck. I'm in the wrong. I knew I shouldn't be playing at this level. 
I was only playing at this level because I knew it would look good on my wrestling resume. Damn. Okay. Maybe yeah. he sensed that. Or you think he He's, just judged your chubby body? I think he knew like I wasn't what the other players were. And he was a little pissed off that I was taking up a spot of somebody else. But you, you wouldn't have been on there, the team if you weren't good enough. I was good. But not... Like, I was the last pick of the last team in the last section. <laughs> like, I think they were just like, I'm sure they were like, he's from Deerfield. He's a smart boy. There's no Jews on the team. Maybe we'll take one of those. I don't know. Can you tell, have people hated Jews in your career? Have you ever met someone and was like, oh, they hate me because I'm Jewish? For the first many years of my career, I, I wouldn't say that I was Jewish because in training school, the people were make my trainers were making fun of Jews and didn't know I was Jewish. And so I was like, oh, this is a culture of Jew haters. I'm just not going to tell anyone because then they'll hate me like undeniably. And, and that did happen throughout my career, yeah. And those are some of my enemies, people that's, that said stuff like that. <laughs> and then when did you become aggressive? Because you're aggressively Jewish, I would say. Your merch has no, Jewish stars culture, on it. In culture. No, yeah, I don't mean religious. No, he's not wearing Please. like dangly things. There's no curls in his head. No, but I mean your merch, there's Jewish stars. You're culturally very proud Jewish. When was that switch? It was when I became confident in myself as a human being. Got it. Yeah, I would say late 20s, I think. Okay. When I, I almost felt a little, not untouchable, but in my early in my career, it's just I felt like if someone like was like, he's a Jew, everyone hate him, then they would all hate me. But I felt in my late 20s, it was like, he's a good wrestler. And okay, fine if he's Jewish, but he's such a good wrestler. You know, we still want to cheer him or he'll still be on the show. Yeah, because someone was doing an article about anti-Semitism in comedy and they asked how I feel. And I go, I assume people hate me because I'm a woman before I ever think of the Jew thing. <laughs> well, I just assume yeah. they don't like a girl who talk. You know, I'm like, oh, you hate me because I'm a girl. That's fine. I mm -hmm. the Jew uh, is down the line for me. But had somebody in training right away not said something, I don't think I would have realized. But I did go to Mickey Owens baseball camp in Missouri when I was 13, and they did ask me if I had horns and stuff like that. Wow. So I did realize outside of my protected Jewish suburbs of Chicago that like people weren't that kind to, to my kind. Yeah. So I did have my guard up a little bit. Of the Jew. Okay, so I took you along on a tangent of Jewishness. Let's go back to college football. So, yeah, so this I, this coach, he just, like, just day one, I didn't, I, I, I thought, like, this is a Division One A football team. They would have everything. I, I didn't bring a pencil. <laughs> okay. And, like, day one, he was like, you don't have a pencil? And scolded me in front of everyone. Oh, because you have to write uh, down plays? I wouldn't bring a pencil to rehearse, not rehearsal, um, to practice. Yeah, we were like in the classroom, but I just, they gave us everything. I was supposed to know except a number two pencil. <laughs> what do you mean everything? They gave you notebook? They gave us pants. They gave us shoes. They gave us clothes. They gave us backpacks. They gave us, uh, you know, paraphernalia, whatever it was. We got it. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I I think I was the only one. <laughs> and, and so he had a chip on his shoulder against me and just throughout the whole season was so mean, was a mean person. His leadership, I, I didn't appreciate it. And I, I, I have a big kind of a chip on my shoulder for people who are, who think they're good teachers or leaders by being mean. And uh, I just don't think it's the correct way. I think no, there's a quote, there's like weak, um, being rude is a weak person's idea of strength. There you go. You know, I love it. Yeah. 
I just think like all the people that I respect, I respect them because they're great at what they do. And you don't have to berate me to get my respect. You just have to be great and I'll respect you. And you can talk to me however you want. I also hate back in the day, like you couldn't drink water where it was like, oh, you want a water break? Well, we're all running suicides. And it's like, give the kids water. It's so fucked up. (laughs) I was just in a boxing class and the coach was like, who's tired? And I go to SoulCycle where we're always like, woo. So I was like, I am. And he made me do (laughs) 10 burpees in front of everybody. This was only a few weeks ago. I'm an adult grown woman. And I had to (laughs) do burpees as everybody stared at me. And give them 50 bucks for it. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. I, I do class pass. I do class. It's actually a steal. I go to a dingy boxing gym. It's okay, really okay. awesome. Is he your enemy now? No, because I killed it. I was, I'm like, I've been working out consistently for like a year. So, so proud of you, Lisa. I was happy to show off. I was like, oh. I can do burpees. So that was a big moment for you. Yeah. And I'm looking for a husband or a wife. So I'm like, if anyone likes what I'm doing, no, actually it's so humil. Every time I leave, I'm so red and sweaty, but I'm trying to have an open heart. So I'm like, if someone likes my body while I do this, I'll do it. And you're a great submissive. You proved. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're looking for a dom. So funny. That was context from the story, but in my head right away, I was like, how did he know? But (laughs) it is true. So was there ever an altercation with this guy? Oh yeah. So the pencil or was just, he bullied you. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, just so many things. He never a confrontation, but I've held on to that grudge for twenty years. Was he sure. just mean to other p- players? Not no. I feel I was number one. I yeah. feel just me. He had a mean demeanor, but like the guys that like got the sacks and did all the plays for him, he loved them obviously. But it was just something against me. I have a chemistry teacher from high school that I'm going to ask to be on the podcast. Who the- I hate. Really, I threatened to kill him. And I had to go to school therapy. Yeah. Okay. So that reminds me of a couple stories. Please. In fifth grade, I hated my fifth grade teacher because she didn't really, I don't know what it was, but I just remember she was, I think she was like 23 and like a kid and her and her other teacher were like also 23. You know, I was fifth grade and I, I didn't like her. I, I felt she once said something snarky to me and like I held on to it. Obviously, I hold on to grudges. Yeah, I was about to say you are a grudge holder because <laughs> we were just texting not too long ago and someone did a minor infraction and you wrote, they are dead to me. <laughs> I was like, they don't have to be dead. Come on. Well, that was done for humor. But okay. yes, I <laughs> but meant it a little bit, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, and- a little slight and you're done. And she was babysitting my friend Jordan a year later. And Jordan was one of the first families ever to get caller ID. So I called up Jordan and prank called this teacher and told her she was a fucking bitch and I hate her fucking life or I hate her guts. I don't think I've ever heard you even say bitch. This is like a moment. I was fifth grade. I was pent up. I felt she had something against me. I wanted her to know that she sucked. And then she just used caller ID. And I remember her being like, is your mom there? And I was like, who's this? And she was like, <laughs> Julia. And I was like, oh, because my grandma's name was Julia. She obviously just made up a name. And I was like, mom, Julia's on the phone. And then I got scolded for that. And then wow. years later, I was a camp counselor and she was at the pool. And at this point, I was like 19 or 20. And I remember like going up to her and being like, hey, remember that thing we did? And I could tell that she held on to it. I didn't hold on to it, but she held on to it. Do you give people second chances? Yeah, yes, of course. 
do they have to come I, to you and apologize and know they did something <laughs> wrong? Or will you, all these grudges you hold, not these teachers, obviously, but have you gone up to anyone in your life and been like, that hurt me and I would like an apology? No, I'll give you an example of a wrestler that joined the AEW team recently who did something really bad and like I scolded him and he didn't care. He came and then he went away and then now he's back on the, the he got signed to our team. And I like said to myself, like when I first saw him there, he was like, Hey, Colt. And I was like, Hey, you know, like holding on to it. And then like I said to myself, Well, who cares? And so like I've went on my way to be very nice to this guy. And he could tell that I go out of the way and I say hello. I, I thought about like bringing up our past, but I just haven't. Mm-hmm. I felt I've nixed it by just being kind to him. And he's been accepting of the kindness. Very much. So. But have you forgiven him for his transgression? Yes, I yeah. think so. In in my head. Yes. Yeah. I, I yeah, I feel like the first hey, like I just wanted him to know that like I still remember. I didn't really care, but I like wanted him to know like, you can't just do that kind of stuff. In my head, I was teaching him a lesson. I don't know what lesson I was teaching him. I don't know why I was doing it. And that's why I fixed it in my own head. And just the next time I was like, hey, man, how you doing? And you're not going to give me specifics, but will you give me a genre? Was it betrayal? Was it? No, it, it what was, moment? It was he. I was the veteran. We wrestled in a match. He didn't listen. He did his own thing. And then he forgot the whole thing. And then afterwards, I was like, dude, you forgot the whole thing. And he was like, he was basically like get away from me. I don't give a fuck. You know, it was just like, Mm. he could have cared less. And then he had been doing that to a lot of people on the roster. And so I was like, what the fuck? Like I was speaking for a a lot of us who had felt this way and hadn't spoken up. Some had spoken up, but it just like, wasn't getting through his head that what he was doing was not the correct way of doing business. And so I let him know that he wasn't doing the correct way of business. Business, baby. Are there historical figures in wrestling that are notoriously enemies of everybody? Like, just huge dicks, and the folklore kind of follows them. Like, you know, now Michael Jordan, everyone's like, he was an asshole. He threw the ball at Scottie Pippen's head. Are are there figures like that? So, Ric Flair is one. I have a podcast called Wrestling Anonymous, where people call in anonymous wrestling voicemails and just stories of the past. And there's so many. Wait, professionals? No, no, fans. Oh, fans know the stories. Wait, that's cool. I, I Do you only fans do that one? The, you still do your well, other podcast too, right? I, I do The Art of Wrestling, which I did for 10 years, but I do it very sporadically. This one I do every week. Fans or promoters, anyone could call in a story and tell any story about wrestling. And a lot of people have fan interactions with Ric Flair where he wasn't the sweetest human being. And then I have a story of my boss paid him $60,000 for six shows. And halfway through those shows... He just left, and the boss said, "Can I have the half the money back?" And he said, "What are you going to sue me for? What are you going to do? I got, I don't have it." And just robbed thirty thousand dollars from my friend. He's notorious for racking up bills at bars and then just like leaving, like ditching the bill. Mm-hmm. He's notorious for like scamming people because he lives this life of I'm the man and just thinks everyone should think he's the man. So. He is a notorious person who has gotten a lot of enemies just throughout. But also, he's a person who should have more enemies. But people look at him as a god so much that they're like, that's ah, just Rick. What are you going to do? I'll pay this $5,300 bill. It's Ric Flair. He's the man. Yeah, we're like, definitely not- in careers where bad behavior is accepted if you're a hotshot. If you're a hotshot. You're encouraged yeah. to be a dick. And you'll get away with it. It's fucking weird. And I know people date each other. Yeah. And then break up. 
have there yeah. been any giant kind of public, like well-known stories of exes having well, to interact or stuff like yeah, that? There was a story of the Hardy Boys. Remember the Hardy Boys? I do. Matt Hardy was in love with a wrestler named Lita. And I'm only oh, is this with the, the Edge? This is with Edge, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. I do remember. And, and I'm only saying it because it was public and it was played well, out. Well, if television. I know it, then yeah, for yeah. sure. The fact that I was like, wait. Because <laughs> Lita is so, hot. She bad girl, long hair. She oh, would like yeah. wrestle with jeans. She was the one. She would like low rider pants, yes. but the thong would ride up. That was her look. Yes. Very hot topic, 2003. <laughs> and Lita and Matt Hardy were real life couple. And then Lita, real life, cheated with Edge. And they were all on the same TV show. And then Edge was a big star. And then Matt Hardy got fired, I think. I don't know why, but one would think because wanted to keep Edge happy. And then Matt Hardy had so much support from the fans. Like, his name was being chanted throughout the crowd that they were forced to bring Matt Hardy back. And Matt and Edge hated each other. But I was told that basically the boss sat him down inside the same room and were like, we're not leaving until you guys are amicable or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so they ended up doing business together. They ended up working with each other, obviously hating each other, but felt it was the best for wrestling and it was the best for both of them. They both would have their jobs. And I'm sure that was so weird for all of them yeah. being on the road every single week. Every week. It's not like you would see someone at the store maybe every now and then. It's every week you see this person. Longer, too. Aren't you, like, in tour buses going from place to place a lot of the time? Sometimes, yeah. International tours they would have been, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Right. That's, so that's a famous one. But, yeah, it's happening all the time. Sometimes the promoter will put these people together, and then they break up. But then all of a sudden, they're, because of the circumstances before, they're together. You were there for one of my biggest enemy moments. I don't know if you know this or not, but my dear friend, Julia Olson, who's a, a best friend, but we were enemies for about three years and we did not speak to each other, but we planned Marty DeRosa's 35th birthday party without speaking to each other. Really? Yes. <laughs> we planned it together. And oh my gosh. she wanted to squash it. She like came up to me and I just wasn't having it. But we like each were in charge of different things and we planned that huge night together without speaking. Wow. It shows you what one thing can do. Cause I get it. There's people that like I feel that way about them. In the case of this one person that you both were beloved to, yeah. you were willing to fight it through. Yeah. And then I remember it was a big moment for me. You were slapping people in the chest for money, I think. I don't know about for money, but I was... <laughs> but I thought people pay you to hit them. I don't think at my friend's birthday party. No, you got on... Gary Lee, didn't you like fucking... You gave him the chest slap. Yeah, I did it for Marty's. I think for the amount of age he was, I chopped him. Oh. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. I thought people pay you to beat them up sometimes. Sometimes they would at, at wrestling shows. They'd be like, five bucks. Because they'll be like, will you chop me? I'll be like, no. They'll be like, what if I give you 10 bucks? I'll be like, yeah, all right. Um, wait, are you on Cameo? Uh, no, I'm on ProWrestlingTees.com slash Colt Cabana. They have a thing called Shoots. Oh, okay. Well, at yes. the end, we'll we don't have to do that. Sorry. No, it's okay. I was about to say you would make a killing, but you're already you're doing chopping that. people. No, just sending happy birthday messages. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I do, okay. But so pro wrestling tees does that where you like yes, send personalized do. messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's cheap, but I've made like twenty five hundred dollars. Oh. But mine are only twenty bucks. Just swearing at people or what? 
Um, mostly happy you birthdays. Pro- People have sad days. I have regulars. <laughs> you probably, you probably, you're probably a good rambler too. Yeah. They're always three to like seven minutes. I assume <laughs> they I recommend assume. 30 seconds. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm always giving people long ass ones while I'm in bed. Just like, what's up guys. But that's your charm. I like it. Thank you so much. Are there famous duos that hate each other? Or you wouldn't be in a duo with someone you hated? No, there are. It's again, I don't want to blow people's stuff up. No. But there's like a famous tag team who have been together for 45 years and they're still wrestling on the circuit and they're like 65 years old each. And it's like known that they're like not the biggest fan of each other, but they were so popular in the 80s and they're so like carny and need wrestling and didn't save their money and still do it that like the package is them. They both are very aware that like individually it's not that good. of Like it's not they're not getting booked out, but together as the team, the famous hall of fame team, that's where the money is. So they work together. They go to each town, but they're they're It's known. They're not a fan of each other, which I feel is something in comedy too. That's happened over the years. I don't know why well, I, I think of the movie Chicago. I don't know if you've seen, you know, the, the Broadway musical, but the two women no. have to join forces at the end because without each other, they're not making money. I think one of the most famous stories is a wrestler named Arn Anderson. I think, I'm forgetting who, if it was Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious, and one of them stabbed each other with scissors and almost died. It's just that it gets so heated up backstage, and people take this predetermined thing, they take it very seriously, and they want to look good. But of course you guys take it seriously, even if it's all predetermined. You wouldn't be successful if you didn't take it serious, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I wouldn't stab someone in the the chest with scissors, hopefully. I think as as someone who's deep in it, it's easy to be like, yeah, you take it seriously. But in the bigger, broader scope of just some people fake fighting, like who's stabbing each other over it? And it's happened. I'm also assuming maybe this is rude of me, but like people are on testosterone or no? Or do you guys get drug tested? Uh, no one's getting drug tested, but I'm going to say nowadays it's not as brutal as it was in the past. I think the 80s and 90s, people really abused all of that stuff. And I think our generation has learned from watching all of our heroes die. Yeah. That maybe not the smartest move. Same with partying, too. I feel like a lot of, like, you just see people ruin their lives and die, like you said. And the newer generation behaves a little better always. Yeah, I think that will continue. I think we'll continue on until they used to make fun of wrestlers just to be like, these nerds are going back and playing video games. Why are they partying? And now it's just, yeah, everyone, the, the next generation is be like, I can't believe those guys played video games. They're wild or whatever it's going to be. No, but I can't imagine being, having to, being hung over and having to wrestle. It's not what you want. You don't want to be on a bender. And the stories were, is you'd go out all night, you just go get crazy drunk, you get up in the morning and you sweat it out at the gym, and then you go on to the next town and wrestle it and rent, wash, repeat, rinse, and continue. Wow. Do yeah. you have any final big feuds, moments, last words? Yeah, I did. I did get in a uh, an altercation. I this reminded me of it in in Scotland. I wrestled at that point. I'd been wrestling like. 18 years i had been on so many tours of japan i was a pretty big name and this younger guy who had been like wrestling four years maybe but the same way like i told you before like i thought i was king shit at four years this guy also thought he was king shit at four years and he came very late this was before the fringe so i would have to wrestle in glasgow and then wrestle on i'd be on first so i can grab like a nine o'clock train to get to edinburgh by 10 
so I could do my show at 11 every single night. And this guy was like super late and I had to like get going. He got there. He started telling me what to do in the ring. And I thought that was a little weird, but I was like, whatever, who cares? And then when we got in the ring, like he wouldn't, we call it selling. Like he wouldn't register. He wouldn't make it look like he was hurting. And I was like, why aren't you selling? And then I started like throwing stuff a little harder, but in in places that wouldn't hurt. And then he started like coming back at me and then he double legged me. And then I did these like MMA moves that I didn't know I was able to do. And we started going back and forth. It was pretty wild. And eventually I cinched him up in a front chin lock and I cinched it up and he tried to escape it, but I cinched it in hard. So if I wanted to hurt him, I could have hurt him. And I cinched it up on him. I said, Hey, I go, do you want to do this for real? Or do you want to do it for fake? And he goes, fake. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then we continued the rest of the match as it was planned. And then when I got to the back, like I gave him the father disappointment speech because I had essentially I had won. Like when I cinched up that front face lock and he couldn't go anywhere, like I had won the bat, that machismo fight or whatever it was. And and I got to the back and like whenever this happens, I preface this with, hey, you might be the biggest star in 10 years or whatever. Right now, this is unacceptable. And I always say that because I don't want them to get real famous and then be like that Cole Cabana. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 10 years ago was a piece of shit no because i'm sure in 10 years he would have been like i was so embarrassing First. i treated him like that of course but i do late. i do but also showing up late whatever the way he acted in the ring was atrocious he just he wasn't doing it with me he was doing his own thing it was gross and yeah i, I gave him like i'm disappointed in you like i'm no superstar but i've been around the world 25 times i don't know why you would want to try to do this to me it just doesn't make sense what are you proving and he was he just had his face down and i was like all right yeah there's a lot right, of you- like disrespect respect it seems is like very important in wrestling yes very much so that's very much of the culture you got to respect each other it is very cool that you've been doing this for so long because still, w- when still you going? watch the clips to be in your 40s and doing that is beyond do you yeah. think it's because you don't do drugs and drink <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> also, I don't do that much in the ring. Although saying that you saw me backflip onto a man. Watching you live at Ring of Honor years ago was like, oh my God. But the Bullet Club was like trying to take your belt. You were like angry. You were mad that night too. You were like <laughs> mad cold. You're very talented. Tell people where you are, what you are, all the info to reach you if they want to see more of you, if they want cool merch. Yeah, everything is at Cole Cabana, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook. I've been on Twitch a lot. I really enjoy playing video games and farting around on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Cole Cabana. I've got a podcast, Wrestling Anonymous, where uh, I take anonymous phone calls from anyone who has anything to do with wrestling. So maybe even if you're listening, you don't know anything about wrestling, but you ran into a wrestler and it was a funny story or whatever, uh, please feel free to send it in. And I guess in terms of merch, I have some, I have a comedy documentary about comedy and wrestling that I made. Also, I have a children's book, which uh, I, I wrote and I'm very proud of. And that would be a great gift for a child in your life. And that's all available at coltcabana.com. Amazing. Yeah. Check everything out. Also, AEW. <laughs> you can yes, watch me on, on fucking television twice a week. I'm also on TNT every Wednesday and Friday night <laughs> for a show called Dynamite and Rampage that has ran through all elite wrestling. 
when Cody Rhodes came out in full velvet, I'm like, this is high drag. I mean, it is amazing. And my friend who did, doesn't know about wrestling that I brought to watch you, she was like, wow, it's a lot of acting. I go, yeah. She's like, all these speech. I mean, it is so fucking fun. You're someone to look up to in terms of not being confrontational, teaching younger people. You also save your money, which I've always been jealous of. You're able to keep it and tight, that, work hard. That, that's a biggest, that's my biggest fuck you to all of my enemies, by the way. That you're so rich. Is that I could just do whatever I want now. Because you saved. Because I saved. Yeah, the lore about you was money. always like, you're always eating Subway sandwiches and that's it. You're not going to. And I still love Subway sandwiches. But you, And I want to give you a shout out for taking me to one of my best meals I've ever had in my whole life. The Doric Happy to do Tavern it. in and, Edinburgh. And how much did that cost? Oh, it was free. It was free because you're a Zero superstar. <laughs> but it was so no, because I, good. Because I saved my money. I know the tricks. That wasn't tips. a trick. It was someone going, I'm obsessed with you, Cole. I manage this place. Please come in. And that was me going, oh, an opportunity for a free meal. I will take full <laughs> advantage of that. <laughs> but I still remember it as one of my like fave. So delicious. So good. Thank you so and, much. And on that night, we weren't enemies, but we were friends. We were. And then dining. This, this is so over, but you do a show. What is the... Fun one you do it. What is it called? Essentially, uh, me and somebody else do comedy and commentary to bad professional wrestling. There was one person the year that I got to do it that you said was the worst guest that you've had on for seven years. Yep. Is that still true? And what was the thing that made this person worse than everybody? She was my least favorite. And listen, it's not as a white male. It's not my, I don't know. It's right. But she was just, she, I, I feel she just hated men. She hated me. She hated the room. She hated everything. It was such a fun and uplifting show. And just from the get go, it was just like, it, she was playing. She was no budding this whole show mm. to, to prove her point that women are the dominant species, which I agree with, but don't do it on my show when we're trying to get laughs. I don't know. Yeah. I don't She really had, she was just had a chip on her shoulder. She had a chip on her shoulder. I don't know. Yeah. To be the worst of seven years. Tough. And, and I made it my point to, to take it. Like I wasn't, again, I was not to be confrontational after the show. I gave her her money. I said, thank you very much. And for all she knows, she had a great time. And uh, well, yeah, I wonder if she was like, oh, that was the best. Or I wonder how she felt about it. One day yeah. I'll try to get it out of her if I see her ever again in <laughs> a secret her? way. We just follow each other on the Internet, but it's Fun. not a friendship because she <laughs> was dating a person who I liked more. And then they broke up and I was gotcha. happy about that. Gotcha. But she's pretty and I'm going to continue following her. As you should. Yes. <laughs> she's just not she's just not for me. No, not for me either, personality wise. But I do like the way she looks and I'm okay seeing it. <laughs> That's that. Thanks, Cole. Colt Cabana. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. So I hope you loved it. Thanks so much. Obviously, call in with your issues. We'll do all of those episodes. Send suggestions. Send everything. I love that you listen. It really makes me feel special. This outro is going to be quick. Like I said, I am at a funeral. Okay. Um, podcasting in a pink room. I'm sitting on a bed. So got to get back down to stuff uh, 
Fox sprinkle cookies into my mouth and whiskey down my throat and, you know, listen to people speak in Hebrew. But I wish everyone the best and I hope you continue giving me all the attention that I crave and need. Enemies is a headgum podcast. Trish Hadley is our executive producer, engineer, and editor. Katie Moose is our supervising producer from HeadGum. Me, Lisa Traeger, I am also a producer. Hello. Thank you so much, Carly Jean Andrews, for the cover art. You're incredible. Jack Krause, thank you for the theme music. I love it. Please follow me on Instagram at either at GlitterCheese or at Enemies Podcast. Tell us about your own enemies by emailing enemiesthepodcast at gmail.com or calling 323-677-1943. That was a HeadGum Podcast.